Today's reading is from John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, hey uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Matthew. I serve as a pastor here at Christ City Church. Um, I am excited uh, to be here. Uh, it was touch and go this week, to be honest with you. Um, some of you know, particularly if you, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not. I'll just tell you. So all week, uh, I have been, I'm just going to, full disclosure, not full disclosure, I'm going to give you some disclosure. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's some things I'm going to keep to myself, uh, just so you know. I've uh, been battling kidney stones all week. Oh, thank you. I'll receive, I receive uh, that sympathy. I'll take it. I'm not above it. Um, Sunday, so we celebrated together Easter last week. The Lord is risen, went home, had a great Easter dinner with my mom who was here, with Lisa, and then that night found myself in the ER all the way until thank you to Leah for alerting the ER. She's in there. She's like, hey, my pastor's coming, which was a help and a hindrance <laughs> because I'm not the best patient. Uh, I, you know, there are parts of my language that aren't fully sanctified yet. <laughs> particularly when I'm hurting and the nurses were like Leah told you told us that you were coming and that you're her pastor and I was like yes I am happy Easter so this whole week I've been on pain medication so whatever sermon you get is by the grace of God today so I'm really excited about what the Lord and the Spirit has for all of us today um, and honestly, thank you guys for, for praying for us and for the, for the staff for coming together and sort of carrying me uh, for much of the week. But i um, really, really grateful to, to, again, to stand in front of you and to say Christ is risen. He is risen indeed um, and was thinking about resurrection uh, when I was uh, at the ER a bit. Uh, but uh, thank you guys so much for, for praying for me. Don't have any other way to end that story except to just say thank you uh, and uh, glad that, uh, that we're here we, um, we are at, we have been in John for quite a long time, and I got to tell you, this Sunday and next are our last two Sundays in John, which we've been in John for over for a year, over a year now at this point. We started January, I think it was January 21st of 2018, and it's, I was sharing earlier, like I feel like some kind of feelings about that, like I'm like, oh, John is a friend, and now I got to go find another friend, like it's, you know, like we've, we've, we've sort of, we've dove deeply into this gospel. And um, at this point in, in John's gospel, we're going to tackle the last chapter in John. And I have to tell you, John 21 is one of my most favorite chapters in all of the Bible. I don't know, 
you know, it's, there's just something that resonates with me about it. Um, and some of what uh, really sort of the, the penny dropped for me on John 21 a few years ago when I had the chance to actually go to Israel with a group of folks from, from here at church. We had a chance to travel to Israel and Palestine and visit some of the holy sites and understand a bit more about the challenges and conflict there. And, and during that trip, there were so many other sites that were there that we've encountered throughout the Gospel of John that were quite meaningful. I remember standing sort of on the Mount of Olives that looks out over Jerusalem and thinking about Jesus weeping over his city and saying, oh, that I could just gather you up and thinking about my own city and the ways that I care about D.C. and weep for D.C. I remember going to the wall, the, the external wall of the temple, and just um, imagining how many worshipers have gone there and been there, and the aches and the prayers and the hopes and the dreams that have been there. I remember being at the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays, Lord, can this cup pass? Because uh, that would be, that would, I, I would be okay with that, but not my will, but yours be done. And just the, the meaningfulness of that, I remember being in that place and just going to the, to the Temple Mount and Golgotha where Jesus was crucified, these very earthy, real places, geographies that you can go to even today, the tomb where they believe that Jesus was laid and then raised. They're all meaningful for, for different reasons, but what struck me the most during the entire trip was, was, was the location of this passage. It's the Sea of Galilee. And, and we come uh, sort of... Uh, back and forth to the Sea of Galilee throughout the Gospels. It's the site where most of Jesus' miracles takes play, take place. It's where many of his profound teachings take place. But it's, it's the sea. It's, it's the sea in this story with Peter that, that just it struck me so much on that trip and has continued to linger with me in my soul. It's a story of Jesus and the disciples that are there. It's the story of, of Jesus displaying his grace and his forgiveness and his love and his reminder to all of us that, uh, that he is a God that gives do-overs. That he's a God that says, you can, you can always come back to me. That I'll meet you where you are and say, you can return. Um, it says... <clears throat> A friend, uh, Rich uh, Velotis, who pastors up in New York, said in a tweet recently, the story of Scripture in four phrases repeated throughout the pages of the Gospel is, I love you, I am with you, don't be afraid, and return to me. That, that cadence is found even in John 21 as well. I love you, I am with you, don't be afraid, and return to me. We began this journey through John uh, over a year ago, and we broke it into three parts. Part one was stories of belief. Part two was stories of life. And part three that we're in now have been stories of life, death, and life again. And the aim of the entire Gospel of John as we've walked our way through it all has been to drive us to the point of belief, of placing our belief and trust that Jesus is the one who would save, that he's the one who has pursued us. He is the one who has communicated to us of his great love and his undaunted willingness to uh, capture our hearts and our attention. It was bound up in the thesis statement of John 20. In verses 30 and 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. All of this coming to the end. And then John writes, verse 31, But these are written so that you, so that you and me may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the rescuing one, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
that everything that we've walked through in, in part one, in the first part of our journey, we encountered these amazing characters that John offers up, John the Baptist, Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the, the, the miracle at the wedding of Cana of turning water into wine, all of them stories that begin to set the stage for our reasons of belief that Jesus has power and he has veracity. And because of those things, he is one in whom we can trust. Part two, we looked at stories of life. We continue to see miracles that Jesus would perform and the way that those uh, uh, miracles and that his teachings would point us towards the ultimate life and healing in the right setting that is found in Jesus. Jesus fed 5,000 when we walked through this part. Jesus uh, describing himself in these life-giving metaphors. He would say, I am the bread of life. He would say, I am the light of the world. He would describe himself in uh, these ways, saying, I'm the good shepherd. He would heal the blind man in uh, part two. And then in part three, what we began earlier this year in January, these images and stories of miracles that demonstrate the point of his incarnation, his life and death and his resurrection. In the opening scene of part three, we see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. We see the Last Supper, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, Jesus praying for his disciples. And over this cadence of life and death and life again, in imagery, in teaching, in, in display. And all of it, as John would say, that you may believe that Jesus is the saving one. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So at this point, we've got 1.5 sermons yet to go in this series. And I just want to say again that Jesus is alive at this point. When we encounter him here in John 21, that he's, he's resurrected. The disciples, they... Um, they know that he's resurrected. They're, they're not quite sure what to make of resurrection or even the full implications of it. They, uh, Jesus has appeared to the, the disciples, but he's not appeared to all of them all at once. Um, he's appeared to different ones at different times. He appeared uh, uh, to Mary and some of the women at the tomb. He appears to the disciples that are locked in a room. And then now at this point, he's at the Sea of Galilee, a few miles outside of Jerusalem, and he, is with, uh, he appears to the disciples again. Um, Verse uh, 1, chapter 21, um, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. The seven disciples, there are seven disciples that are there. Uh, and they are back at the Sea of Galilee. And they're, they're there, they're together, they're still trying to make sense of what's happened both uh, in the cross and then also in the resurrection and what they know, but what they don't yet fully know. And what's so striking, we've actually been at this place before, um, where we've seen Peter um, with some of the other characters that are in this uh, very passage, not in John, but in Luke. We've actually been at this same place before. We've seen Peter doing this exact same activity before. And we've seen some of these same results before. If we we'll look again um, in Luke 5, this is what happens. Um, in verse 1 of Luke 5, chapter 1, it begins by saying Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also another translation for Galilee. So he's at this same place. In verse 4, 
When he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon Peter, he answered, Master, we have worked all night and haven't caught anything. Again, an all-night fishing trip with no results. But because you say, say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled uh, their partners in the other boats, come and help them. And they came, they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. A lot of fish should have let some go. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were also in John 21, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. So they pulled their boats up for shore and they left everything and they followed him. This, uh, this is actually uh, Peter's calling. Jesus is calling Peter to be his disciple and saying, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to display my power to you that I am control, that I control all of creation and that I control all of your provision. You can trust me. You can leave that and follow me. We're at the same lake where Peter was called. It's the same activity. It's even the same results, which we'll see in just a minute. And it's the same reaction, the same invitation to leave it all and to follow Jesus. But what's happened in the wake of Jesus' crucifixion and uh, this whole uncertainty that Peter has just been thrust into, Peter's own denial of Jesus. What Peter has done is he's returned back to the thing that he knew. We're three years down the road and he's back at the very same spot. Thinking, I am no farther down the road than when I started. I think disappointment can do that to us. When, when God disappoints us, when we feel disappointed with God, we often go back to familiar patterns or old habits or intimate sins, ways of living that we had before, before we were met with the power of God. Disappointment has a way of wooing us back to the places that are familiar, though undesirable. Even those places where you think, I think I'm moving in one direction, but just, man, just the grind of disappointment, I'm not sure if that direction is really it for me. And so you just go back to the place where you are because it's what you know. And though it's familiar, it isn't where the Lord wants us to dwell. I think the beautiful part here is, it's not that Jesus showed up at the scene. He's like, here again, back here again, doing this again. We're doing this thing again. Like he doesn't berate him but that Jesus is there with him, that he's back at the sea. He's back at the place of disappointment. He meets Peter in the same place of his original calling. He meets Peter in the place where he's returned to after his failure and his disappointment, and that Jesus is there. I wonder that uh, the question that's prompted for me out of this is, where does God need to meet you? Where do you go when God lets you down? Where do you go when you're disappointed? Where is it that God needs to meet you? Um, some of you are familiar with, uh, with the Enneagram. Uh, Justin led a, a seminar last year. Some of you are like, woohoo, yeah, Christian Zodiac. Um, <laughs> love that. We, um, not exactly, just kidding. 
Um, Justin led a, a seminar on it that uh, I like. 50 of you guys like went through this seminar. Um, Cindy is leading an amazing um, small group with it that helps understand about the ways that you're made and uh, the ways that God has made you, the ways that you can um, uh, receive, the way the Spirit works in you because of how you're uh, created in God's image, also the ways that God would want you to serve in certain ways because of how you're made. One of the things that, um, that the Enneagram also sort of um, highlights is where do you go when you're, when you're unhealthy? What are the things that you, that you do when you're stressed? Now, I am a, an Enneagram type seven. Uh, that's right. That's right. In a house. Um, which means I'm an, I'm an enthusiast, among other things. I'm a jack of all trades. I'm a generalist. I enjoy a lot of um, uh, things, a lot of different kinds of things. I bounce from one thing to another. Uh, so I've got a stack of books that I have started that I will never finish. Um, but the thing is, when I'm stressed, I go to a type one, which is the reformer. And so in, in, in stress, the negative aspects of type 1s is I become, I become quite condemnatory. Not out loud because I have a measure of a filter, but internally. There's just some things that I, I get controlling. I sort of get like, give it to me, get out of my way. Clearly you don't know what you're doing. I will take care of this, and I will take care of it, but it will be a disaster at the end of it. But that's where I go. I, 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 I don't go to the Sea of Galilee to fish. I go to the Sea of Self-Righteousness. I go to the sea of judgment. I go to the sea of intolerance. I go to the, the sea of self-pity. I go to the sea of sadness. Where does God need to meet you in your disappointment? It may not be a place. Geographically, it may be a place in the internal contours of your soul, but where does Jesus need to meet you? And I think if that's the question, then the prayer that would meet it, I think maybe this, Lord, Lord, meet me there. But don't leave me there. Whatever it is that you find yourself drifting to and the disappointments, say, Lord, meet me there, but don't leave me there. Maybe that's your prayer today. Um, earlier this year, uh, one of the early sermons that we did, we... Um, a tool that we've often used at Christ City is called the Spires Plan, and it's just a way to sort of think through your life holistically, and each of the letters of Spires represents a different aspect of our lives. Um, uh, spiritual for the S, P is physical, I is intellectual, R is relational, E is emotional, S is uh, service or serving outside of yourself. And um, one of the things that I really wanted to focus on this year uh, was the S and the E and the P. So the spiritual, um, some things, uh, some retreats, some aspects of prayer, some um, fasting that I wanted to do throughout this year. Uh, the E, the emotional, or some emotional work that, I, that I've got some bandwidth that I want to sort of dig up and dig into. And then the P, the, the physical. Now, here's the thing about this. I know it's going to come as a surprise to you, but I don't work out. Um, it's just the way God made me. Um, but I realize, you know, I'm not, if, if I don't do anything, then I am in the best shape that I will be for the rest of my life at this point, which is quite tragic if I don't, you know, sort of make some changes. And so I began praying through this and thinking through this. I've got a, I've got a friend that um, is also a pastor and a church planner. Daniel Clark's Daniel, somewhere around in here. Boom, right here in the middle. Great. Perfect. <laughs> Um, Daniel uh, and his wife, Heather, they're actually planting a church in Glover Park um, later this year. And as best we can tell, it's the first church plant in Glover Park in uh, decades. Uh, but before, Daniel and I are part of, a, of the same uh, church planting uh, organization. We sort of move in some different church planting fields. What, um, what I, I didn't know at the time early on is that Daniel has been a, a quite uh, successful personal trainer um, in the Annapolis area. 
So we've been hanging out, been praying, praying through, prayer walking Glover Park, doing some other things. And then he comes to me at the end of December, and he says, uh, he knows about my P and my spire plan, share my spire plan, problem number one. I said, this is my deal. And he, goes, he says, hey, this is what I'm going to do with you. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you, uh, I'm going to be your personal trainer. I'm going to give you 40 weeks of personal training. I said, perfect. I said, um, I said great. I said, this is fantastic. I said, good. This is an answer to a prayer. He said, okay, so I said, uh, first I need to join a gym. He goes, that's all right. I've looked them up. And he pulls up. We're sitting at Maketo. He pulls it up on his phone, and he goes, here are the three gyms that are closest to where you live. We're going to join one right now. And I'm like, ah, shouldn't I, like, go and visit it? Like, go and see if it's, you know, if it feels like me? And he goes, if you leave from right here and we don't set this meeting now, you're not going to go. I said, okay. So we go. Went to the Balance Gym, Capitol Hill. We go there together. Daniel works the dude so hard, he was like, you know, you get, you get a discount if, you, if, if there's a referral. And so we're sitting right there, and he's like, Watson, I'm going to join first. He joins, and he goes, okay, I'm referring him. He's right here. <laughs> so that he could get, Daniel, join the gym with me. I said, I'm joining. I said, okay, we're just joining this. No, there's others. We're going to join all of them because I don't want you to be like, oh, I wasn't over in Capitol Hill. I was way over here, but I wasn't a part of that gym. <laughs> Two weeks ago, Three weeks ago, we're back at the Maketo. He goes, pull out your phone. We're going to schedule it. I've gotten off schedule a little bit. He goes, we're going to schedule it. I scheduled three. I went zero times. Sometimes you end up back where you started, and you wonder, am I making any progress? I was in the Word. I was like, bro, what's in the Lord has brought you someone to walk with you. I'm texting them, Daniel. I'm going to use you. Can you show up? I'm going to confess to my church that I have a membership to a gym. <laughs> I have a personal trainer, and I never go, bro. <laughs> Where does the Lord need to meet you? Sometimes it's quite practical. But even in the practical places, I think that there's a depth of spirituality where the Lord is saying, yes, you can always come back to me. You can always return because it's not about the gym. It's about faithfulness in the everyday. So you guys can ask me. Or you can ask Daniel to help you if you've got some <laughs> goals. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Man's encouraged me so much, man. Verse 3, let's keep moving. I'm going to go out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And so they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood uh, on the shore, but the disciples, they didn't realize it was Jesus. Verse 5, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? I feel like he's like trolling them here. He knows everything. Got any fish? No. <laughs> no, they answered. No. I don't have any fish. They had been faithful all night. They're fishing, but they didn't have anything to show for it. There's a loneliness in failure. Some of you in this room, you have been faithful for such a long time at things. And you have little to show for it, it feels like. 
that you've been faithful with the gifts that God has given you. You've been faithful with your education. You've been faithful with your intellect. You've been faithful with your faith. You've been faithful with your body. You've been faithful with your relationships. And then you just look around and go, I've been faithful from all night, God, but I just don't see any fruitfulness in my faithfulness. And there can be a loneliness in that. The last several weeks I've been reading about um, a civil rights leader that, um, named Donald L. Hollowell. I was introduced to him through a podcast I was listening to, Malcolm Gladwell podcast on revisionist history, which is amazing if you, if you get a chance to listen to it. Hollowell uh, was born in Wichita, Kansas in December 19, 1917. He enlisted in the Army at the age of 17 and served three years in the 10th Cavalry Regiment commonly known as the Buffalo Soldiers, and after um, leaving the military, he attended Lane College in Jackson, Tennessee, where he was the quarterback for their team. He established his law practice in Atlanta in 1952, um, and throughout his career, he was directly involved in a multitude of civil rights cases, um, most notably throughout Georgia. He worked to desegregate Georgia's schools, their colleges, their universities, their transit systems. One of his key legal victories was, uh, was the, uh, he was lead counsel on Holmes v. Danner case in 1961. This was the case that he initiated the desegregation of the University of Georgia 176 years after its founding. When Dr. King was arrested in Atlanta, Georgia authorities, they, they refused to release King back to Hollowell because they knew of his reputation, his legal acumen. And so they moved King to a number of different uh, uh, prison institutions throughout the state, and Hollowell would chase them around until finally he was able to track him down and, uh, and, and get uh, Dr. King released. But Hollowell's persistence, his tenacity, his intellect, it was, it was undaunted. His spirit, it wouldn't be denied. When Hollowell would try cases throughout Georgia, Along with his colleague Vernon Jordan, a civil rights titan in his own right, the courtrooms, they would swell with African-American onlookers who would come to see Hollowell's display of intellectual might and his rapier-sharp mind. But there were also these long Georgia nights, too, where he and Vernon Jordan, both of, both of them were over six feet tall. They were big, athletic men. They had to share a bed and borrowed bedrooms in town because the town wouldn't rent rooms to African-Americans. The hardships that they endured at the hands of racist judges and racist courts and systems and the defeats, the painful defeats that they had to suffer. But still Hollowell persisted. He's captured my attention about how do you continue to fish all night and be faithful all night when it feels like you have little to show for it. Up until his death in 2006, he never stopped fighting for justice. You can feel like fishing all night with nothing to show for it. Some of you have been faithful for such a long time. And what I want you to know is that Jesus never lost track of them. He was on the shore. He was seeing them. His eye continued to be on them all night while they fished. He never lost track. And so maybe the question is, what area of your life do you need to remember? God sees that area. Maybe it's your area vocationally or relationally or faith-wise or any other area. Like, but you just need to be reminded God sees you. He's on the shore. He's not lost track of you. 
Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's something that you've been fighting for. Issues of racial justice or peacemaking or reform in one area or of another. But, but you need to know that God has not lost sight of you. And so your prayer is an echo of the prayer that Isaiah prayed when he prayed, Isaiah, when he prayed, Lord, here am I, send me. Rather than saying, Lord, here am I, send me, it's Lord, here I am, see me. And I want you to know that Jesus sees you. He's not far off. He's, he, you haven't lost his gaze. Verse 6. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, I feel like parenthetically he probably would have liked to have included and the one who is faster than Peter. The fast-running disciple he said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Because I guess you want to get dressed first before you <laughs> jump in. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask them, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They listened to the Lord. There's, there's so much there. The invitation to, to continue to try new things. It's the same thing that happened in Luke, but it's also the constant reminder that in God there's always abundance, that he's the one that we pursue not just the abundance that he provides, the reality that Jesus had prepared a meal for them, but he also asked them to bring what they had to the meal, to dine with him. The, Peter's ache to be with Jesus, his, his desire to be with the one that he loved and that loved him, Jesus' invitation to say, just, just come and just have a meal with me. I think maybe the question, there's a lot here, but maybe the question for us is, just as Jesus invited them to bring their fish to the meal as well, what is it that Jesus wants you to bring? What is it that you need to, to bring to Jesus? And I think that the prayer that would match it is, is just the simple, here I am, Lord. Because it's not just like, let me bring something and then sort of leave it and then, and then, leave, and then leave Jesus. What the invitation is, is not for you to bring your stuff, to bring your hopes, or to bring your dreams, as much as the Lord wants those, but for you to bring you to Him. Not only just a fascination by, by the provision that God provides, and it was a large number of fish, but, but the fascination with Jesus, not just the provisions that Jesus makes. That we're with Him, that, that, uh, that we are present with Him. 
to bring what you bring what you can, which the Lord provided in the first place, and then to marry that with what Christ has already prepared and provided, and simply enjoy the presence of the one who has made you and loved you, the one who has watched you from the shore through the night and into the day, who sees you in your labor and in your fruitlessness, but also sees you in your faithfulness, the one who beckons you to shore, the one who provides you with what you lacked and says, now, child, come and have breakfast with me. He sees you from the banks and He calls you to share a meal with Him. And He says, you can always come back to Me. You can always return. I, I, if there's an ache that I have for us as a church and for me as a, as a person is that we long to simply sit and be with Christ Jesus Himself to dine with Him, to sup with Him. I, I burn most passionately to see us be a people that burn most passionately for Christ, to be those whose great delight and whose life fuel is time spent with Jesus. We won't grow closer to Him if we don't spend time with Him, not just the stuff we get from Him. And I think even in a room like this, honestly, that some of us, we actually ache for noble stuff from Jesus, that we don't want fish, but we want things more nobler. That we, that we ache for justice and righteousness, and I ache for that too, but if my ache for that is greater than my ache for Christ, then I've become simply enamored with a no, more noble form of sorcery. And I'll lose all of it. What I want to hear when I'm sitting with Christ is for Him to say, your efforts are not in vain. And the Lord is not far off from you. This is actually some of the closing words that we see in Scripture. In Revelation 3, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. I will sup with them. I will dine with them. There's an intimacy in the language there. I will be with them and they with me. Bring what you can to Jesus, but bring yourself. and Spend time and dwell there. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. There's a lot of um, ink that's been spilled about the three different ways that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And the switch between lambs and sheep. And rather than getting into the syntax of it, here's the, the broad strokes for you to know. He asks him three times, do you love me? Because it's a mirror of the three times that Peter denied him. The three different times where Peter had the opportunity to display his love to Jesus. He said no. And now on the banks of the place where Jesus first called Peter, he's calling him again. And he's doing it in a similar way to Peter's rejection of Jesus. So there's a, there's a, there's a mirror of it. There's a typology of it there. Sometimes I think that... Um, that redemption often follows the same 
paths or patterns of our brokenness. I think sometimes our healing is bound up in similar types of the thing that hurt us. Um, I've shared this story before, but, but just again, some of you know that um, Lisa and I were serving, um, we served overseas in West Africa um, a number of years ago, and it was a beautiful, amazing time that, that God continues to use in our lives and that we draw from as, as hope and inspiration, but it was also a, just a, quite a challenging time. It was a challenging time in our marriage, it was a challenging time in our faith, and, and it, just, it just sort of left us broken. I remember coming out of that season very angry with God, feeling quite disappointed in the Lord, and saying, God, I think that you wounded me in that place. You, you moved me to a place of where I feel like I trusted you more before that event than I do now, and I feel like that's your fault, frankly. I don't know what to make of you. I don't want to make of me. And it was, a, it was, a, it was just pain, and it lingered for years. And I wasn't sure what to quite make of it, and I wanted to sort it out, but I knew that timing wasn't right. I just sort of put it on the shelf of my soul and just said, Lord, in, in your timing. And then through a, just a wacky set of circumstances, a lost passport, a, a misfiled plane ticket, and other things, six years later, six years later, yeah, we'll call it six years, I ended back up in West Africa. I didn't want to be there. I was taking a class. I needed a class. It was supposed to be in the Philippines, and now it was in West Africa. I was like, oh, I didn't want this class, but I've got to take this class because I didn't know it then, but years later, I'll, I'll need this class <laughs> to graduate. Part of the class was we did church visits, and I remember walking into a West African apostolic church, and they were singing a song that I had heard a hundred times over, my, uh, uh, over the months of living in, in Nigeria. And it was a song of pain for me, but it had become a song of healing, and I walked in, and I immediately wept. And it was in that place, in a in an apostolic church that was built on the foundational belief that God is a God that heals, that God uses the same thing, the same song that at one point had wounded me, was now my balm, and is now my healing. And I could come to the place of saying, Lord, you have healed me. The things that you've broken, you've repaired. And I can return to you. I think there are times where God uses... Similar things as what wounded us is the things that will heal us. Maybe the question for us is what, what pain needs to be brought to Jesus this morning? What pain in your past or in your life or in your present? And then I think that the prayer for us would be this. Jesus, be Lord of my present. Be Lord of right now. Lord, there's some things in my past I need for you to be Lord of those because the Lord transcends time and space. He can reach back to broken places and heal those and mend those and in that way be Lord of our past as well. Be Lord of my future. And I think that would be in keeping with the ache and the aim of John's entire gospel. In verse 19, this section ends with Jesus simply saying in verse 19, follow me. Follow me. So that's the invitation. That's the invitation of John's gospel. 
overwrit with these larger categories of I love you, I am with you, do not be afraid and return to me. These questions that we've even walked through in 21, where does God need to meet you? What area do you need to be reminded that God sees in your life? What do you need to bring to Jesus? What pains do you need to bring to Jesus? And then match them with the prayers, Lord, meet me here, but don't leave me here. Here am I, see me. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. And Jesus, be Lord of my now, of my then, and of my tomorrow. I pray that you'll ask those questions and that you'll pray those prayers and that you will hear again Jesus' invitation. Wherever you are, whatever banks of whatever sea you find yourself, hear Jesus saying to you, follow me. Let me pray for us.